Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week, Denise and I are bringing back one of our favorite guests, Jennifer Edwards of Thank Goddess, and she's going to be talking to us about some astrological influences coming up for us. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hi, so glad to meet with you guys again. Yes, we we get such great feedback every time you're on. Oh, that's awesome. I love being on and listening to you ladies. Thanks, Jen. I'm really excited because whenever we seem to meet, we're always uh, coming up on a Mercury retrograde, but today's a pretty special day um, because we have Venus conjunct Neptune, which is a really dreamy aspect, and you two are so dreamy that, you know, it's a huge collaboration to be able to <laughs> meet during this time. That's awesome. So tell us about some different things people can do to kind of shift into this new year energy. I don't know about you guys, but the energy, maybe because of the eclipse, Jennifer, has just felt kind of up and down. Well, the last eclipse that we had on January 10th was in Capricorn, and it was a pretty heavy eclipse because it was um, directly communicating with the Pluto-Saturn conjunction, which was pretty, which was pretty enormous. I've written a lot about this uh, particular aspect, and when we talk about Pluto and Saturn, they're both heavy hitters. <clears throat> they're both outside planets, and so they have to do with authenticity and building structure. Saturn's very much the karmic planet, doing things slowly. Pluto is all about going deep within, being authentic. And so when those two collaborated, what ended up happening was if you are doing things or operating on a level that, that perhaps kept you keeping up with the Joneses, um, not really being your authentic self because of fear, a lot of, those, a lot of those structures started to crumble away. And so that kind of brought in new opportunity for people. And for people that are trying to learn what their authentic self is, are really sticking within that vibration, we're kind of rewarded with the opportunity or the insight on how to move forward in, in stimulating their soul's desire. As we kind of move out of that energy, it's kind of looking back at, depending on where you were when this was happening, either looking back at what is left or looking forward uh, to what kind of fertile ground you have in front of you. That sounds perfect. And I don't know about anyone else, but the first few weeks of this year were very tumultuous. And I thought part of it was, you know, I'm in a different location, but it was more exactly what you're saying, energetically needing and wanting to set boundaries, releasing old stuff, but also finding a sense of self that may have been dormant for a while. Yes. And in, when we, when these two bodies come together, which happens every 30 to 38 years, it really is a new beginning of an astrological cycle. So the last time this happened was in 1982. It happened in Libra. Uh, it doesn't repeat the same signs for hundreds of years. I believe the last time we had this conjunction in Capricorn might have been in the 1500s. Kind of changes our shift and how we're building things. We have, we have the conjunctions, again, every 30 to 38 years, but we have the oppositions every 15 to 20 years. And so it's kind of like an astrological check-in to see if what you're building is truly authentic and in alignment with, with your soul's purpose. So kind of like a pause to, to say, is this what I want? What, or is there anything new I want to invite in? Yes. And am I being true to myself? 
am I really doing what lights me up? Am I really creating something that, you know, it's all about energy and it's all about elevating ourselves to the next stage. Uh, in this lifetime, while we're wearing our human suit, our soul is, is given the opportunity to have modalities with our arms and our legs where we can travel and wander and also experience life. And if we aren't doing that authentically, then what are we doing in this lifetime? And so it's kind of like uh, an intervention to get us back on the right path towards what our goal is in this lifetime. Now, so many times that you've come on to share your wisdom with us, you've talked about Mercury retrograde. So could you add some layers to that and talk about this Mercury retrograde in particular, which I think you said is retrograding through Pisces? Yes. So Mercury, as we, as we come on it, we're, we're kind of in the shadow phase. We're, we're approaching the shadow phase, which is where Mercury is going forward over degrees that it will be going backwards over. So when we talk about shadow period, things start to slow down and we kind of start to recognize the computer glitches and different things start to get a little kooky. But when we talk about Mercury retrograde, not only is it a time that we sort of pay attention because it's really become a buzzword over the last 10 years as astrology has become incredibly popular, we should layer it on the sign that it's retrograding in. So last time I was with you folks, Mercury was retrograding through Scorpio, which is a very potent, powerful, emotional water sign. And we learned a lot about how we process our deep emotions and how we let them out and, and how we are attracting others around us. And in this retrograde, it's in the next water sign, the mutable water sign of Pisces. And Pisces rules the 12th house of undoing the subconscious, breaking habits, patterns, addictions, um, but it's also our dreamlike qualities and our connection to the divine. And so when we, have the, when we have Mercury, the planet of communication, going through Pisces, we start thinking about how are we communicating emotionally? We start thinking about how are we um, daydreaming? How are we implementing our creative self into ourselves? Uh, Pisces is, is very dreamy. It's ruled by Neptune. And interestingly enough, Neptune is a higher vibration to the base vibration of Venus. So if we look at it that way, it's kind of like a womb-like sort of presence where we don't have a body. And so a lot of people that have Pisces as a sun sign or a moon sign or a rising sign have a lot of, they're very empathic and um, they're very psychic in their sponges. So how are we taking on other people's energies is a good way to look at this. How are we detoxing from life around us? How are we taking care of our mental health? How are we taking care of our energy when we're out into the world? A lot of these things will start coming up in the houses that it shows in your, in your birth chart. So, so the layers work, if you look at astrologically, where's Mercury? And is it going direct or is it going retrograde? Then you would look at what sign it is in and what properties that embodies. And then you'd look at your birth chart and find out what house that resides in for you. And you would find the dreamlike qualities that we just described in Pisces representative of what each house represents. So if you have Pisces, perhaps in the 10th house of your career, where are you being creative in your career? Going back, 
reevaluating that because as we know with mercury it's mercury retrograde it's all about redoing things reevaluating kind of looking back at where we can fix things rather than going forward it's kind of going back i love it whenever we have uh, an air planet going through a water sign because water and air typically um, they work they can work well together but elementally they aren't that great because you think about water as being deep emotion deep you know deep emotion deep expression on a soul level but you think about air as being very I guess uh, intellectual without emotion so they're kind of like a polar opposite and so when you put these two signs together you're really being able you're really able to sort of have this collaboration that would not happen otherwise where do you stand with mercury retrograde on the stuff like don't take a trip during mercury retrograde or don't buy a big purchase like a new car well personally if it has anything to do with anything mechanical big decisions that are the first time we're making a decision you know i have a really good example i had a friend of mine who was completely unaware of astrology which most people are and she uh was set to close on this house during a mercury retrograde and i kind of mentioned you know is there any way you can change the date now this is a really good example because that a house is a major purchase and when the bank sets the date you know it's kind of the bank's authority so a lot of people you know aren't don't feel comfortable asking them to reschedule the closing date so what ended up happening was is that she closed during mercury retrograde and she ended up spending the next two years doing doing renovations and, and repairs of all of these disastrous things that ended up being in the house. However, the positive spin on this is that after this was taken care of, um, moving forward, she ended up purchasing her, after she sold this house, she ended up purchasing a house that was in a perfect neighborhood with perfect neighbors and really found her niche. During this hell time with this hell house she had a hell neighbor now if you want to look at it from a perspective that we get the lessons that we need when we need them and we're always in the right place at the right time there really is no wrong time to do anything it has to do with what kind of lessons we need to learn so if we're aware of these transits we're able to sort of maneuver around whether or not it would be a good idea to make a big purchase um, sign your name on the dotted line. If you are aware, it, it's a very good idea to avoid these times. If you aren't aware, it's a part of your learning process and it makes you become aware. Would you get married or engaged during a Mercury retrograde? No. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes without saying. <laughs> that goes without saying. I mean, you know. I'm an astrologer, so so anybody who I'm romantically linked with will definitely know what the transits are. If you if you're in your life and this is happening, I mean, it's one of those things where you know why is this coming into your life? We don't make these decisions very quickly. I mean, yes, in the moment we'll say yes if we're getting close to trying a mercury retrograde, but typically we've been with the person for quite some time. So this could represent reevaluating who you are in the relationship, reevaluating who you want to be in the relationship, and where perhaps the relationship is going. That makes sense. Well, okay. What about if, if someone's listening to this and they're about to give birth during a Mercury retrograde? Can you talk about how it's not a bad thing to be born during a Mercury retrograde? 
Yes. Yeah, so whenever, wherever the planets are in the sky, when you enter this plane of existence, you've chosen this. I mean, I believe this uh, wholeheartedly that we choose our life path before we enter into this plane of existence. So we chose to enter in on this time. Whether or not you come through cesarean section or natural birth, the time in the, the time in the sky and the stars is when this was meant to occur. So when planets are retrograde in a birth chart, they take on a symbol of what you're supposed to learn in this lifetime. So it's really no accident. So if someone is about to give birth during a Mercury retrograde and they go into natural labor, you know, that is when this child decided to enter this plane of existence. If you're able to time your the delivery, say through cesarean section, the moon changes signs every two and a half days. And I've worked with people on birth dates, bringing in children when they're able to schedule it. And it's kind of an innovative process to be able to look to see where the best aspects are to bring this child into the universe where we can look at perhaps the gifts that we can give them if we're able to schedule the delivery. So I think that's good to mention some of the positives and negatives of Mercury retrograde because you feel... I don't know. I feel silly sometimes when I plan my life around it. Like I really, really want to trade in my minivan and get something else because I am now out of that stage of my life. And I just found a car looking on the computer at the local lots that I really, really like. And I was thinking, we're already in the shadow stage of Mercury retrograde. I can't get this car now. And I I just feel silly saying that out loud. Well, you know, and, and a lot of people do. And so when we come to big purchases like that, first of all, you're reevaluating your vehicle and you're trying to find something that's safer. Even though you are purchasing a new vehicle, we are in the shadow phase. I always tell people that it's really, the shadow phase is more about awareness than it is about inaction. So when we get to February 16th, that's really when we are stationed retrograde. So, you know, you really, you have about a week or so to to make a big purchase. If you're able to, if if you're in a position where, where you find the perfect car, it's really close or it's during the retrograde, make sure that it has a warranty. Make sure you're going over meticulously over the specs of the vehicle. And also uh, one of the things that I like to point out is this is a great time to shop. This is a great time to look, compare prices look at specs that you want to have on big purchases. And then that way, over this period of time, because you know it is about a four-week cycle, over this period of time, the first thing that you looked at at the beginning, you may find something better at the end because you've been doing the, ready for the word, research. See, you put a re at the beginning of it. I love that. I like that because that way it's not like it's ruling your life. It's just kind of a guide. It's totally a guide. We, there used to be an astrologer in the New England area, Daryl Martini, and he used to say, it's a wise person who rules the stars and it's a fool who's ruled by them. And so that's kind of my motto. The, the energy that's presented to us is the energy that we choose to use in order to amplify our presence, our awareness, our knowledge of, of how, we can, how we can present ourselves to the world. So what are some of the big moon cycles that we need to focus on? When we talk about moon cycles, especially with manifesting, 
one of my favorite things is to manifest with the moon. We start off with a, a new moon is the beginning of the new cycle. And so that is when we start to see the moon start to wax. And so when we talk about waxing, the moon is growing over a two week period into swelling into, uh, into the full cycle. So this is the manifestation cycle. This is when we start calling in, we make intentions, we ritual meditate about manifesting things into our life or also clearing the way to uh, discovery of what it is that wants to come in. When we get to the full moon, the moments before the moon is exactly full is when the moon is the most swollen and the fullest. And that is when it's the most powerful to call those things in. When we work with that two-week cycle, it's kind of building upon each day as the moon gets greater and greater. As soon as the moon is full on the backside one minute later, we are in the waiting cycle, which is about shedding, letting go. What do we no longer need? What is no longer serving us in our path forward? And so we kind of want to, with every cycle, we need to make room for the new. And so when we work with the moon cycles, we want to pay attention to what phase the moon is in and also what it is that we want to, how we want to utilize that phase. It's interesting too is that for years and years I heard, you know, initiate on the new, culminate on the full. And I was under the false belief that it would be the next full moon, not realizing it's six months out. So the, that, that's true, yes? Yes. Yeah, so you can do short cycles. What, the way that the moon cycles work is that we have a new moon in the sign of the month. So say we're in uh, Sagittarius season, uh, November 22nd until December 21st. If there's a new moon that occurs during that period, that new moon has to be in Sagittarius. Six months later in uh, Gemini season, that's where the full moon of Sagittarius will occur. So there's a six-month growth period in between that cycle. Whenever we have a, in the astrological sign of Sagittarius, for example, we'll have a new moon and we'll have a full moon. The new moon is always in the sign of the month, and the full moon is always the polar opposite, the sign six months away. So if the new moon is in Sagittarius, then the full moon has to be in Gemini, and vice versa when we talk about uh, late May and June. When the new moon is in Gemini season, it's in Gemini, and the full moon is in Sagittarius. So eclipses work in six-month cycles. Moons work in six-month cycles. But you can also do short-term manifestation within the next moon cycle. So it would be the, the new moon, for instance, coming up um, in Pisces. We would work with the manifestation of the energy in Pisces, but then we would go ahead and, and, and then culminate at the full moon in Virgo and then release on the backside of the full moon in Virgo. You can work in short cycles and you can work in long cycles. Eclipses in particular, you can see the energy of what was going on six months ago be very prominent at the next cycle six months later. And that is a good, it's kind of a good example of how the moon cycles work. In that regard. Okay, take us through some of the major things in life. Like, let's say, for example, you're trying to manifest love and career success. During a love cycle, I, well, it depends on what kind of love you want to call in. 
if the moon is waxing in Scorpio, that's all about passion. That's calling in a lover. It's calling in intensity. If we want to call in, if we want to call in a partner, a life partner, a serious partner, we would look to see where the seventh house is in our birth chart. And we would look for a waxing. So whenever we're calling in, we're, we want to be on a waxing moon cycle or when the new, where, the, where the moon is new. That's where all the energy would be located in our chart. If we're looking for a partner, we want to look towards the seventh house because that is the house of marriage and relationships. We would want to look for a new moon there or the culmination of a full moon. So doing ritual prior to the moon being exactly full in that part of our chart. The fifth house is also new love and creativity. So when we first meet someone and it's playful and fun and we have the puppy love, <clears throat> that's located in our fifth house. So any kind of waxing or new moon in that area would be a good time to ritual in, in that aspect. And then, of course, the eighth house, which is um, soul, soul communication, emotional and spiritual intimacy, uh, and also sex. So wherever the eighth, whatever sign the eighth house is in your chart, when the moon is in that area, manifesting those things into your life, more passion is a great time to, to kind of look to see where that is to do ritual. Whenever I think of career, we think of the sixth house and we think of the tenth house. The sixth house in our chart is um, representative of service to others and our job, our day job. So it'd be where you would punch in the brick and mortar that you show up to work at. Uh, your career is located in your 10th house, especially if you work for a big, uh, a big corporation. The 10th house and the 6th house are different in the, in the same in a respect that it can be where you work, but the 10th house is more about your career and your career direction. So when we talk about manifesting things into your life, it's very important to understand where the moon is falling in your chart. When we look at the grander aspect of where the moon is in the sky and what sign it's in, we're looking at what, that, what the moon is representing at that time. So this is where the layering effect sort of comes in. So okay. with this new moon coming up, what would be some things to really focus on? So the new moon in Pisces, Pisces rules the 12th house of um, the zodiac wheel. And the 12th house is all about spirituality. Uh, it's all about the unconscious, the undoing. This is our dream house. This is where we get messages from dreams. If I had this in my 12th house, if I had the new moon in my 12th house in Pisces, I would do a lot of meditation. I would be doing things that would raise my vibration to hear what the, what the divine has to come in. Because whenever we have action in our 12th house, it's about becoming a conduit to spirit. It's about listening to the, listening, listening to the, the higher wisdom that's above us and letting it, allowing it to come in. It's also about changing your attitude and the way that you're thinking. Because where this is a subconscious house, uh, it's also a house about secrets. So it's the, it's the things that we think about. It, it's the self-dialogue self that we have with inside of us. Um, it, it has to do with, with how um, our energetic flow is. Because for every one conscious thought that we have, as Yogi Bhajan has famously said, 
for every one conscious thought that we have, there's a million unconscious thoughts that we're unaware of that change our complete energy field. So if I had the new moon in Pisces um, in, in my 12th house, that's what I would work on. And in an overall aspect, no matter where the moon in Pisces falls, you want to see where you're bringing spiritualness in in your chart. You want to you see where you're bringing in your internal dialogue and how your energy is sort of impacting your day-to-day outgoings and wherever this lands in your Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, I just have a, a stupid question because I don't understand a lot of astrology. There are no stupid questions, Samantha. Okay, well, it's just so complex. So you have to look at your birth chart is what you're saying and look at where the moons were when you were born and then correlate it to where the new moons are this year. Am I understanding that correct? Actually, it's much more simple than that. It seems super complicated, but if you, and there, and of course in this day and age, rather than 20 years ago, when I first started doing this, it was much harder back then. But nowadays there are many websites where you can plug in your birth information and just look at your chart. What we're talking about is looking at your chart and looking at the houses and the transit moon where the moon is in the sky, finding out where that happens to be in your chart on this day, because the moon actually moves and changes signs every two and a half days. So we have a lunar return every 30 days, which means that the moon uh, traverses the zodiac every 30 days. So the inf- we have the influence every month of every house. When we have a new moon or a full moon, it's an intense influence because that's what we have. We have a, a much a much bigger intensity because of the energy of the moon. It's kind of like shining a flashlight on that area of your chart once a year, sometimes twice a year, depending on how big your house is. Okay. So it's a great time. So if you had a new moon in your 10th house, it's a great time to initiate 10th house endeavors of career and being seen and getting your name out there. That would be your one new moon for that year in that house to be able to uh, be seen in your career field. Okay. Now, what about, so we talk so much about where your son is, you know, so your son determines your horoscope that you look at in the newspaper every day, right? Yes. But the moon is different, right? Yes. Well, first of all, with the sun, and there's different theories on this, but but the, the, the school of thought that I come from is that when you're looking in the newspaper, the newspaper horoscopes and the ones online are written as if your sun sign is also your rising sign. And so that's what turns people off from astrology a lot of the times because they'll read their horoscope and it's never right. It's very rare uh, that your sun sign is the same as your rising sign. The rising sign is found by the hour that you were born. Uh, The rising sign, which rises on the eastern part of the horizon, when you're born, we, we look at that and that creates your first house. So unless you were a Sagittarius born at 536 o'clock in the morning, you would have a Sagittarius rising, but other than that, your, your rising sign changes every hour and a half, depending on what time you were born. So when we look at a newspaper, it's really important to read your rising sign because the newspaper or internet horoscopes are basing the planetary placements, saying they'll say Neptune is in your fourth house. Um, Neptune's only in the fourth house if you read the correct rising sign. 
your moon sign has to do with your emotional body. That changes, like we said, every two and a half days. It's how you react emotionally on an innate level every single time. It's as if someone were to, if you've ever done that test where if someone pushes you on your back, you always land on the same foot. So your emotional expression is always the same. And as we get older, we learn how to hamper it or how we express it in different ways depending on how people react to us. The moon sign has to do with our emotional expression. Okay. See, and I think that's so important to think about for the casual astrological observer. Oh, absolutely. When we look at we look at astrology and we look at our planets and our natal planets, it's really about how we are expressing ourselves during this moment of time that we're here together on this planet. So it's all about how we can move if we have aspects that say don't allow us to express as freely as we would like, we can look at where we're lacking to to evolve our expression. So astrology is really about energy, time, and expression all into one. That's okay. Way to describe it. Yeah. It's a lot to take in. Mm-hmm. It is. I've been I've been teaching a, a beginner's astrology class over the last few weeks and it, which is really great because when you're teaching something uh, you're able to look at things from a different perspective because you're kind of sharing information rather than just having it as a big soup in your head. And the more and more that I'm writing th- this out, the more and more I realize it's become more apparent that when we really talk about uh, our time here and how we choose to express ourselves, that really is the embodiment of the human experience. Very well said. Now, what about the Venus in retrograde coming up? Yes. So Venus retrogrades every 18 months. So 2019, with all of its shakeouts, I did not include a Venus retrograde. So we will have Venus retrograding on May 13th, and it will be in the communication sign of Gemini. So Gemini rules the third house of all things communication, logic, how we take in information, how we express information, siblings, and short-distance travel. So when Venus retrogrades, we are looking at how we are expressing our love. Are we able to communicate our love? Uh, During this transit, we often find that we will hear from loves of days past. Uh, Either we get the what's up text at 11 o'clock at night or maybe we hear from an old high school uh, boyfriend or girlfriend. It's revisiting our old feelings. It's also revisiting um, how we express ourselves uh, physically, how we want to put ourselves into the world to attract others. When we have a Venus retrograde, which lasts uh, six weeks, we want to avoid uh, changing our looks drastically, especially going under the knife. That's one of the things that's going under anesthesia. It's also not a great time to change your, to change your appearance, to change your clothing, to do anything drastic like that. It's kind of like a Mercury retrograde in a sense, but it's more about your emotions rather than logic. What I find very interesting about this particular Venus retrograde is that um, it's going through a logic sign. 
Now, if you look at the, the Mercury retrograde that we're having, we have the planet of logic going through um, a water sign. So it's almost, it's almost like we're going to have the same energy back to back. So basically what I'm hearing is ladies don't cut bangs. Yes, <laughs> bangs. And it's funny because, because during the last Mercury retrograde in Scorpio, I don't know if you folks noticed this on Instagram, but there were a lot of bang sorrow stories. Yes, they were hilarious. <laughs> they were so funny. But yes, that, that is wise. That is, that is definitely a, a wise suggestion. No bangs, ladies. <laughs> so when we talked to you last before the holidays, you gave us a lot of good insight into sort of the, the energy that we were leaving and moving into. And it was very, very positive. How do you feel now about 2020? I mean, I feel like we have a lot coming up, you know, with the elections and with so much going on in Australia. And I don't know, it just seems very positive, And yet I'm a little nervous. Well, you know, there's always trepidation whenever we move into the unknown. I love the I love 2020. And and at the beginning of 2020, if you want to look at the big power planets, Pluto and Saturn, that's a tremendous way to start uh, a decade. To have those two planetary bodies that meet every 30 to 38 years start this year. And when you look at all the devastation and the changes that seem to be impacting our planet, it's kind of clearing the way for making, making way for the new, you know, making way for the new ideas. What is not working? What do I need to let go of? And so the eclipses that we had at the beginning of this year on January 10th in Capricorn, Capricorn is very much about structure and, and building structure. So if we look at what's being destroyed, we're breaking down structure. We're breaking down the old ideals of the last 30 years. And so we're making way for the new. So during disaster and crisis, we are forced to look forward at how we can, how we can better ourselves, better our planet, and make a new pathway to, to something that's more abundant and safer and calming and uh, where we can where we can raise the vibration of the planet. I mean there's so many people that have spoken out on all of the things that have been going on. There's nothing but positive momentum to move forward. So as we look at the rest of the year, Sagittarius and Gemini will introduce themselves in eclipse form in June. I love the fact that that this energy is coming in in 2020 because Sagittarius is the spiritual guru. It is the spiritual teacher. Sagittarius is about abundance. It's about joy. It's a very warm sign. It rules the ninth house of spirituality, foreign travel, you know, really understanding all of us as a whole rather than as separate countries. And the polar of that is Gemini. Gemini is about action. Gemini is about thinking. It's about planning. It's about finding a better system. It's about finding a better way and communicating that. So as we start in June, the first eclipse that we have in June is in um, Sagittarius. It's a, it's a lunar eclipse. So as, as Denise alluded to prior, six months ago when we had the new moon in Sagittarius, in November, even though it wasn't eclipse, it wasn't an eclipse moon, 
it, it was the new moon precursor to this full moon that's coming in June. And so we want to look back to what was going on right after Thanksgiving. And if you look globally, a lot of those things are coming back. And so it kind of promotes action in that area. When we have the full moon lunar eclipse on June 5th, we'll start looking at how far have we come spiritually, emotionally, and, and it, you know, in a way, in a philosophical sense, how are we coming together as a world, as a population? How are we making things better? This, is, this eclipse cycle that, that we're coming into because they dovetail with each other is really going to expand our universe. It's going to expand the way that we communicate and hopefully drive us towards more of a global unity. Um, the galactic center of the universe, by no accident, it, it moves and it is moving, but it is located currently at 27 degrees Sagittarius. So it is very much a higher thinking sign. Which is nice for a Sagittarian. That was, that's good. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and we have and we have this cycle. Uh, the, the eclipses are are in a plant. They're in a sign cycle of every nine to twelve years. So the last time that we saw the Sagittarius um, Gemini cycle, it was uh, around two thousand and eleven. So it, it it it's good to see this come back. It, it's nice because there's a lot of initiation. Both signs are very mutable, which means that they, they look at all different points of view. Um, they're able to take in all ideas and kind of come up with their own sort of uh, way forward. And it, it's, it's really nice in this, in this day and age, at least over the past 10 years, it kind of seems like we're breaking down a lot of walls personally, internally, but also globally and coming up with better ways to uh, move forward. And lifting and raising the consciousness. Yes. And Sagittarius is the sign of raising consciousness. All religion falls in the sign of Sagittarius because there's, it's such a philosophical sign. I didn't know that. Yes. Do you mean like but, when the religions were created? Religions fall into that when we think about the theories and the, and, and the constructs of them about um, how they came to be how the sense of the communal aspect of that. So when we look at religion and we try to find the um, connecting aspect between each one, they tend to run in a line, which means that, you know, all of these theories, you take Buddhism and you take Catholicism and you kind of look at them together. When we look at philosophy and we philosophize religion, that is what is located in the ninth house. America has Sagittarius rising, right? Yes, and it has a it has a Cancer Sun, so which is really interesting because Cancers are all about uh, protection of their home, right? And it's a very emotional sign, but they can definitely stand up when they need to. Sagittarius rising is about a place for all of us to be because it's such a worldly sign. It's it's not, when we talk about Sagittarians, they love to travel. They have wanderlust. They love to learn new things. And so it's no wonder that the United States is a melting pot and was meant to be one. I love that. I like to think of America that way, a place for all to be. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and shedding light on some of the wonderful and positive aspects coming up for us. People can find you at thankgoddess.org, but tell them, 
where you are on social media and all that other good stuff? Well, you can find me on Facebook at Thank Goddess and also um, my podcast, Star Medicine Podcast, is also on Facebook. On Instagram, I am Thank underscore Goddess. And for the Star Medicine Podcast, it is at Star Medicine Podcast. Awesome. And that can be found on Facebook? Instagram and Facebook. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week where the stars are always lined up just right for you. Don't forget, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.